Acts chapter 17, verse 10. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. The men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, we are again uh, blessed that we can study your word in this way, that we can open the book, that we can discuss the meaning of the text, and that we can understand how this might apply to our lives. Thank you, because the Bereans are such a great example to us, Lord, of searching your scripture on a daily basis. Help us to take their example into our own lives as we become students of your word day by day, morning by morning, as we seek to understand it, as we seek to apply it to our lives, as we seek to align our lives with it and to serve you. Thank you for your son Jesus. Thank you for his sacrifice. Thank you that he offers salvation to us, a salvation we do not deserve and could not earn, but offers to us fully and freely by putting our trust in him. There's even one here this morning, Lord, who has yet to put their trust in Jesus. We pray that they might not let this day go by before trusting him and settle their eternity. Now, Lord, guide us in the study, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. George Mueller, great man of faith of an earlier century, said this about the importance of the Word of God. The vigor, vigor of our spiritual life will be in exact proportion to the place held by the Bible in our life and thoughts. I solemnly state this from the experience of 54 years. The first three years after conversion, I neglected the Word of God. Since I began to search it diligently, the blessing has been wonderful. Great has been the blessing from consecutive, diligent, daily study. I look upon it as a lost day when I have not had a good time over the Word of God. He's a great example of what we're going to see in Acts chapter 17 in the Bereans who also studied the Word of God consecutively, diligently, and daily as they checked what Paul said against what they knew of particularly the Old Testament, which was the Bible they had before the New Testament was complete. And so uh, Mueller expresses the importance of the Word of God for you and for me John Calvin expressed it this way, the, scriptures, the scripture excuse me, dispels the darkness and gives us a clear view of the true God. 
Samuel Taylor Coleridge said, I have found in the Bible words for my inmost thoughts, songs for my joy, utterances for my hidden griefs, and pleading for my shame and feebleness. Uh, as I read his quote and thought about sharing it with you, I thought about uh, how uh, even in recent days, uh, world events had uh, really uh, weighed upon my heart as it probably has weighed upon yours. And interestingly, as I expressed my concern to God, he brought me to Psalm 27. That was my psalm that I was reading for the day and really put things into perspective. So the Word of God is so important to us. It is so important to us as believers in Jesus Christ. Um, to, to put it the, in the negative way, if we are not in the Word of God, if we are not in Scripture on a daily basis, on a regular basis, we are not growing. We are not growing. If we're not in the Scripture on a daily basis, we're not living up to our potential. If we're not in Scripture on a daily basis, we're not growing more intimate with Jesus Christ, that which He desires of us. If we're not in the Word of God on a daily basis, we're not equipped for the spiritual warfare we'll face that day. If we're not in the Scripture on a daily basis, we're not prepared to worship and we're not prepared to defend the truth from error. The Word is so much more. On the positive side, the Word is encouragement to us. It's a challenge to our lives. It's a source of understanding. It's a source of unfailing and unerring direction in our lives. It's a source of unparalleled wisdom. Well, to look at the setting or the background to where we're at in our study of the book of Acts, you'll remember from last week's study that Paul and Silas are driven out of Thessalonica by the jealousy of the Jews. The Jews, however, in Berea were of more noble character. That's what Luke says about them. They're of more noble character than the Thessalonians. They researched the Scriptures to verify what Paul was teaching. There are some things that we can see in this. Most important is this. The Bereans are a model for us. The Bereans are a model for us. They are a model of daily being in the Word of God, daily studying the Word of God, daily being changed by the Word of God. The Bereans are a model for us. We also want to see again something that we've seen over and over in the book of Acts, and that is the bitterness that is against the gospel, the bitterness against those who represent it. The bitterness is pervasive and the bitterness is unrelenting and nothing has changed in all of these centuries. There is still bitterness that's pervasive and unrelenting against those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, those who put their faith in the gospel. So we're going to see the Bereans as a model for us. They are a model of how to receive the word of God. Last week, last week for all of their failures, we saw that the Thessalonians uh, were, uh, Paul used them, called them a model church ultimately, 
And Paul was a model for us in our passage this morning of how to teach the Word of God, how to share the Word of God, and what we're going to see today, the model of how to receive the Word of God, how to receive the Word of God. I'm trying to make the case of how important it is to us. How important if we want the kind of life that God desires for us and the kind of life I think that we desire for ourselves, how important it is that we be in the Word of God on a regular basis. Now, how many of you work in Awana? All right, quite a few of you work in Awana. Uh, what does Awana stand for? Yeah, I just finally got that down. Always wanted to say it differently. Approved workers are not ashamed. What makes a worker ashamed, according to the Awana model? But first of all, where does the Awana model come from? Second Timothy 2.15. Second Timothy 2.15. That's where the Awana, the name Awana comes from, the motto comes from. Well, what is it that makes a workman ashamed? Well, 2 Timothy 2.15 says it this way, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. It is not only important that we be in the word of God on a regular basis, it is vital that we handle the word of God accurately and correctly that we handle the Word of God accurately and correctly. And so we're going to split our time this morning between seeing what happened at Berea and the response of the Bereans, a model to you and to me, and then we're going to take the last part of our time this, together this morning to talk about uh, accurately handling the Word of God. For I'm sure that none of us wants to be ashamed before God of not handling the Word of God properly. So that's, that's where we are at this morning. Look with me at chapter 17 of the book of Acts in verse 10. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now by now, this must be getting a little old to Paul and Silas. They go into a city, they find uh, some who receive the gospel, they establish a church, they teach the church, somebody raises up an issue against them uh, because of their uh, preaching of the gospel, and they have to go. Well, we see it again here. As soon as it was night, under the cover of darkness, as soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now, Berea was about 50 miles southwest of Thessalonica. They were in Thessalonica, so they traveled 50 miles southwest to Berea. Berea, uh, Berea was, uh, was uh, on the road to Achaia, uh, which was the area of Greece, where you will find Paul's next place, which is Athens and later Corinth. So, they, they put them on the road uh, toward Achaia. They go to Berea, 50 miles south. Persecution again. This is a principle that you and I have seen throughout this study of the book of Acts. Persecution again caused the gospel to continue to reach out to more and more places. 
Persecution was God's method to grow the church. Not just the individual churches, not just individual Christians who also grew through persecution, but persecution was God's means to expand the church in the world and take more and more territory. And we see that happening here as Paul and Silas, having successful ministry in Thessalonica, are driven out of Thessalonica by the jealousy of the Jews, and they find themselves in Berea. Well, they're in a very different place in Berea. They did what they normally do. They went to the synagogue. That was their normal practice. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Verse 11 tells us, Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. The Bereans, we are told, are more noble than the Thessalonians were. More noble, why? As one writer put it, they were more noble because they tested the truth of Paul's message by Scripture rather than judging it by political and cultural considerations. They tested the truth of Paul's message. That's what made them more noble. They tested the truth of Paul's message by Scripture rather than judging it by political and cultural considerations. That is, the Bereans were free of prejudice. They were free of prejudice. They were impartial observers, impartial students of the Word of God, according to one writer. They had a high view of God's Word. They honored it above their own prejudices. They wanted to do God's will above everything else. Scripture was their touchstone. Everything was compared against the teaching of the Word of God before they would move forward or before they would act on it. Everything was compared to their, the, what the Word of God said. Uh, their touchstone was not politics. Their touchstone was not culture. Their touchstone was not nationalism. Their touchstone was not their prejudices about the Scripture. Their touchstone was the Scripture itself. They let the Scripture speak they were obedient to, work, to the Word of God. They didn't decide what they'd believe and then look for a proof text to support it. They didn't decide what they'd believe and then look for a proof text to support it. That made them more noble. They tested the truth of Paul's message. They challenged Paul. And you'll notice Paul isn't offended because he leads them to discover for themselves what is true. Now, we don't have time to turn to some passages, but there are passages that would, we uh, are relatively sure Paul would have taught them. Passages such as Isaiah chapter 52, verse excuse me, 13, <clears throat> through chapter 53 and verse 12. Passages such as Psalm 22 passages that would help the Jews to understand how Jesus could be the Messiah and how the Messiah could be a suffering servant as well as a conquering king. They were interested in the conquering king aspect as we saw last week, but Paul was introducing them to Jesus, the Messiah, the suffering servant. And so what these Bereans did 
was every time uh, Paul would teach in the day, and then later on that day and that night, they would gather together, they would get the scripture, in their case, as I said earlier, it would be the Old Testament scripture, that's what would be available to them. Probably by this time, there are some sayings of Jesus being compiled and circulated, and they would have those. Well, they would study those, compare what Paul had to say against the Scripture, and come to a conclusion. Well, we're going to see in a moment that many of them came to the conclusion that what Paul was saying was true, that what Paul was saying was accurate to the Word of God, that what Paul was teaching them about the suffering servant and the conquering king came right out of Scripture. One writer said this, the message of Jesus Christ sounded no less strange to, the, to Berean ears than to Thessalonian ears, but the Bereans did their homework. They compared what Paul was saying with Old Testament Scripture. The final word for them was the written word of God. They, and the, the writer makes the conclusion, wise listeners check the Bible to see if a preacher or teacher is telling the truth. Wise listeners check the Bible to see if a preacher or teacher is telling the truth. Another said this, the final word for them was the written word of God. When they realized the missionaries were telling the truth, they embraced it. They, the Bereans, did their homework. Matthew Henry, who is a... a expository of the word of God of another century said this, those that read and receive the scriptures must, must search them, must study them, that they may find out the whole truth contained in them and may have an intimate acquaintance with the mind of God revealed in them. Searching the scriptures must be our daily work. And the Bereans are a great example of that to us. Searching the scripture must be our daily work. Imagine we have the opportunity to study in the word of God. We have the opportunity to read the word of God. We have the opportunity to see the mind of God laid out before us in the scripture. And it's laid out before us in words. We're going to see in a few minutes why that's important. It's laid out before us in words, propositions, uh, as God the Holy Spirit inspired the writers of Scripture to record what God wanted recorded for you and for me. We call that inspiration. They searched the Scripture, and as Matthew Henry says, it must be our daily work. And they were open-minded. They were open-minded about the Scripture. They, they weren't constrained by their prejudices. They weren't constrained by their culture. They weren't constrained by other things. You see, the Bible's role is not to confirm our preconceived notions. The role of the Bible is not to confirm our preconceived notions or our prejudices, but its role is to smash them to pieces. The notions we have that are wrong about faith and morality and politics. Warren Wiersbe said, all of us should imitate these Bereans by faithfully studying God's word, discussing it, 
and testing the messages that we hear. And uh, that's a great statement. All of us should imitate the Bereans. We should faithfully study God's word on a daily basis, discuss it, and test the messages that we hear. Well, many of the Jews, verse 12, we're told many of the Jews believe. Now that's a change. Do you notice the comparison with the Thessalonians? Uh, if you look back at chapter 17 and verse 4, it tells us that in Thessalonica, some of the Jews were persuaded. That is, just a few of the Jews were persuaded. However, in Berea, many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. In other words, many, many more came to faith in Berea than came to faith in Thessalonica. Among them were one named Sopater, who will come across in chapter 20 and verse 4. So there were converts among the Jews, there were converts among the Greek women, and there were converts among the Greek men. Now that success led to a problem, verse 13. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. Once again, we see the persecution, we see the hatred for the gospel and the hatred for those who share the gospel. Slander and persecution are the go-to for those who are losing the argument. When you share with somebody from the Word of God and you show them, as Paul did last week in our uh, passage of his preaching of the gospel to the Thessalonians, when you show them the truth and open their eyes to the truth, they often don't want to hear it. And often slander and persecution are the go-to for those who are losing the argument, those, who, those whose ideas and theologies are wanting. So verse 14, the brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. The men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. There's a lot of movement that it, it uh, takes some doing to understand a lot of the movement that's going on among these various uh, servants of God. Uh, Silas and Timothy rejoined Paul at Athens. Paul leaves Berea and winds up in Athens. He saw Athens as a strategic place. It was famous for learning. It was famous for philosophy. And so he headed to Athens and he wanted Silas and Timothy to join him there. Silas and Timothy did that. And then Timothy was sent back to Thessalonica to minister among the Thessalonians. Silas was sent back to Macedonia, probably Philippi, where he ministered. And Paul went from Athens then to Corinth. That's some of the movement that's going on. It's almost like a travel log, uh, what's going on in, this, uh, in, the, in the book of Acts. Uh, Silas and Timothy joined him at Corinth. Uh, on their return from Macedonia. Now, the Bereans' nobility was seen in their openness to Paul's message. 
their willingness to test the truth of the message by Scripture. Scripture itself, as we said a moment ago, was their touchstone. Now, we've looked at how the Bereans are a model for you and a model for me. Uh, what I'd like to do in our remaining time this morning is to talk about how can we correctly handle the Word of God? How can we accurately handle the Word of God? Remember, that's what 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 said. It said that we must correctly handle the Word of God. Literally, that means to cut straight. To cut straight. It was used of stonemasons who were cutting a stone. If you were fitting a stone into the building, you'd have to do what? You'd have to make sure that it's cut straight so that the stone will fit into the other stones of the building. Uh, it was used of uh, farmers plowing a furrow. You wanted a straight furrow. It was used of road builders. Uh, it was used of a surgeon. You wanted a surgeon with a straight cut. And so, therefore, the idea is don't mishandle. Don't mishandle the Word of God. Don't deviate from the Gospel. Don't deviate from the Word of Truth. Paul was saying that Timothy must correctly understand and correctly teach the Word of God. So, how can you and I correctly understand and correctly teach the Word of God? I want to I give you something that we shouldn't be able to do in 15 or 20 minutes, but we're going to attempt it. Eight principles, eight principles for how you and I might study the Word of God and, and be accurate about our study of the Word of God. And I'm going to illustrate it as we go along. I want to illustrate it from uh, a book by Rick Yohn, Y-O-H-N, entitled Explore the Bible Yourself. It's a great volume. It's a great, just a small volume, but the, uh, it goes over everything that we're going to talk about this morning and, and much more in just a small volume and your Bible study will be enhanced uh, if you get that. It may not be in print anymore, I'm not sure, uh, but it's an excellent book for your library. It's an excellent way for you and I to learn the principles of Bible interpretation and how to interpret the Bible rightly. So let me give you really quickly eight principles. Uh, some of these come from Rick Young's book. Uh, some of them are illustrated in Rick Young's book. Uh, others are uh, the principles I've gathered over the years uh, through Bible college and seminary and through years in the ministry. Uh, the first one is this. If we're going to handle the Word of God accurately, we've got to interpret it literally and plainly, allowing for figures of speech. We've got to interpret it little, literally and plainly all the while allowing for figures of speech. Now, Yon says this, read the Bible as you would other literature, accepting the fact that it includes figures of speech. Realize that a passage should not be spiritualized unless the passage requires it. So we need to understand the Word of God. He gives an example. He says, uh, for example, when Jesus said, I am the gate in John chapter 10, verse 9, he was comparing himself to the nature of a gate. What does a gate do? Well, it opens and closes. It both provides entrance 
and it prohibits entrance. In the same way, Jesus uses the illustration of the gate uh, to show that he's the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Jesus is the gateway to God. Jesus is the gateway to God. So we understand when Jesus says, I am the gate, he's not saying I'm some wood with hinges and a lock that swings back and forth. He is talking about being the nature of a gate, what a door does, which is to open, close, provide entrance, prohibit entrance. That's what it's trying to say. So we interpret literally, but not woodenly. That, that is the important understanding here. We interpret literally like any other literature, but not woodenly liberal. Uh, literal, excuse me. Woodenly literal. So we must interpret literally and plainly, allowing for figures of speech. Dr. David Cooper, some years ago, said, when the plain sense of Scripture makes good sense, seek no other sense. When the plain sense of Scripture makes good sense, seek no other sense. So that's the first. Interpret literally and plainly. Uh, the second principle I'd like to share is observe the context. This may, in many ways, be the most important of the principles. Observe the context uh, of the Word of God. Uh, Yon says this, Before asking, what does this passage mean to me? We should ask, what did the writer of this passage mean when he first wrote it? Understanding the passage in its context will help us grasp this single original meaning. Remember, as we said last week, we're trying to get back to what did the Scripture mean to those first hearers, the first ones who received the Word of God. We're trying to understand what did the passage mean to them before we can understand how we can apply it to ourselves. Rion gives a good example. He says, The verse, I can do everything through Him who gives me strength, that's Philippians 4.13, may have a variety of meanings to hear the to those who hear this statement by itself. But when reading this verse in context, the context being verses 10 to 13, we say that these words of Paul focused on his ability and God's strength to always find contentment, contentment regardless of his living conditions. Paul said, I have lived in want and I have lived with much. In other words, in, in his lifetime, there are times when he had more than he needed and there were times when he didn't have enough but through them all, God gave him the strength to live and the strength to con conquer. And that's what he meant by, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can live with a lot. I can live with a little. Because God gives me the strength to do that. But too many times, you and I have heard it preached in a different way, or you and I have heard it taught in a different way. Uh, somehow we are Christian supermen and superwomen who can leap tall buildings with a single bomb because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, right? Well, if you look at the context, Paul's saying we can live with a lot and we can live with a little, but either way we're going to live because Christ gives us the strength to do that. That's a powerful statement. That's the meaning to the hearer's the first hearers of that message. And then he goes on to say, although a passage of Scripture may have many applications, 
it has only one primary meaning. The context of the passage, which includes the verses that come before and the verses which follow, throw light on what that single meaning is. Now, there's so much more that we could say about this. Let me give you a, a kind of a silly little illustration. If I say to you, get the lead out, what do you think I'm saying? Get moving. Do something. Speed it up. Move along. Get the lead out. But I might be saying my mechanical pencil is jammed and to fix it, I have to get the lead out. How would you know what I meant by that statement unless you had a context for it? Unless you had a context for it. That's what we're talking about here. When we study the Word of God, we've got to examine examine the context. The third principle is this. Interpret Scripture by Scripture. Uh, you, the Scripture is the, the best interpreter of other Scripture. Uh, but you have to be careful that when you compare Scripture by Scripture, that you cross-reference the thought and not just the word. You cross-reference cross the thought and not just the word. Uh, because again, words are used in different ways in different contexts. So you've got to compare the thought. Yon says this, many Bibles have cross-references as an excellent built-in tool for better interpretation. Learn to make use of these references for they direct you to other passages that will shed light on the one you're studying. And so uh, it is important to use Scripture and uh, Yon then says the Bible is his own best interpreter, so compare Scripture with Scripture. But make sure you're comparing apples with apples. Make sure you're comparing thought for thought, not just word for word. Make sure that when you compare that you're taking the word in its context. And, uh, but it can expand your understanding. So interpret Scripture by Scripture. Cross-reference the thought, not just the word. Cross-references will direct us to other passages that shed light on the one we're studying. Uh, so much more could be said by all of this, about all of this. Number four, understand the historical situation. By the way, some tools that might help you to do that would be a Bible atlas or a Bible dictionary or encyclopedia are some of the tools. And of course, today, all of that's available to you where? On your computer. On your phone, for Pete's sakes. I mean, they, they always talk about how our phones have more computing power than the early astronauts had when they went to the moon. Uh, we hear that all the time. Well, your phone has more tools than I had when I was in seminary. And it's right there on your phone or right there in your computer. So there's a lot of tools. There are a lot of tools to help us to understand the historical situation. Uh, one of the great needs that we have to do in Bible study is we have to bridge several gaps. We have to bridge several gaps. Uh, we, we have to bridge the gap between our minds and the minds of the biblical writers. The biblical writers wrote in a different language. Uh, the Bible is written in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. The biblical writers lived in and wrote in a different culture. It's different from our culture today. So there's a language gap. 
There's a cultural gap. Uh, the biblical writers wrote in a different place, so there's a geographical gap that we have to bridge. And the biblical writers wrote in a different time, so there's an historical gap that we have to bridge. If we're going to understand the scripture, we need to be able to fill in the blanks of these gaps, the, the language gap, cultural gap, place, different place gap, the different time gap. That's what the process of Bible study is. So understand the historical situation and use the tools that, that uh, are available to us today. Uh, number five, the fifth principle is observe the progress of revelation. Observe the progress of revelation. What that means is distinguish God's dealings with different people. For example, God's dealings with Israel are different than his dealings with us in the church. Uh, Israel and the church are separate and will remain separate. There are promises made to Israel, both blessings and cursings, which do not belong to us. It's amazing to me how many Christians want to take to themselves the blessings. They don't want anything to do with the cursings. Well, the good news is neither the blessings nor the cursings apply to us. They apply to Israel. They apply to God's people, his nation of Israel, not God's people in the church. So we have to understand that as we study the Word of God, we have to understand, is this, and ask the question, is this written to me or someone else? Is it written to the church or is it written to Israel? It doesn't mean that God is different uh, from one time to another time. God is the same always, but how he interacts with mankind is different. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about to observe the progress of Revelation. Uh, Yon says it this way, Revelation is progressive in the sense that God has revealed himself in various ways over the centuries, and each time he has imparted to us more information about himself. Because of progressive revelation, he says, the teachings in the earlier parts of Scripture find fulfillment and clarification in the later parts of Scripture. God did not reveal everything about himself at one time, nor did he tell everything to any one person. Therefore, in studying a topic in Scripture, we must investigate truth from all Scripture. So understand progressive revelation. Let me give you a couple of examples. There, uh, we've already talked about the distinction between Israel and the church. Uh, also, let's, uh, let's take the dietary laws, for example. Israel had many dietary laws to follow. And, but do you remember way back in our study of the book of Acts when Peter got hungry one noon and went up to the roof? And while he's waiting for dinner to be prepared, what did God do? Gave him a vision, a vision of a sheet. And in that sheet was many animals, some clean, some unclean. And God says to Peter, take and eat. Peter, being the obedient person he is, said, sure, Lord, right away. <laughs> now, if you know the scripture, you know that's not what happened. Peter said, never, Lord. Whew. How many times have we said that to the Lord? Never, Lord. I find, I find sometimes I'm, I'm 
I'm praying or I'm just talking with the Lord, and which, which is prayer. And, uh, and I'm saying, no, Lord. And then all of a sudden it occurs to me what I'm doing. I'm saying no to the Lord of the universe. But that's what Peter did. He said, no, Lord, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I've never eaten some of this, uh, the, most of this stuff. I'm, I've never eaten the unclean stuff. God said, don't call unclean what I have called what? Clean. The progress of revelation. We've got to observe that to understand. Same thing is true of the law in general. The law wasn't given to save. The law cannot save. But the law was given to show that we could not save ourselves. That we fall short of God's standard. Well, number six, interpret grammatically. Interpret grammatically. The the word of God came, the revelation of God came in words. So grammar and syntax are important. The word of God, the revelation of God came in words. So the grammar and syntax are important. So therefore, we must interpret grammatically, observe the relationship of words to one another. Uh, So many times, uh, it can help us to understand if a a verb is present tense or past tense or past perfect. It can help us to understand the the passage that we're in. Uh, Sometimes, a singular versus a plural makes a difference in the Word of God about how you interpret it. Paul did that in Galatians when he talked about the seed being Jesus Christ. And he said, God said seed, not seeds as in many. There, a plural made a difference in understanding the word of God. So observe, observe, interpret grammatically. Number seven, use a critical approach. Use a critical approach Question every interpretation. Uh, ask yourself, uh, to use Young's illustration, he says this, ask yourself, does my interpretation agree with what the rest of the Bible teaches? This will help keep you from going off on some radical tangent. In other words, some interpretation that you come to in your Bible study must agree with the rest of Scripture must agree with what the rest of Scripture says about that particular uh, item or issue. So ask yourself, does my interpretation agree with what the rest of the Bible teaches? He suggests a second question for us. And the question is this. Uh, We ought to ask ourselves, we should compare our interpretation with what we know has traditionally been taught in the body of Christ. He says, your own discoveries in Bible study will be new and richly rewarding to you, but they probably will not be new to the church as a whole. Even contemporary heresies are in reality old heresies dressed up in new language and style. If in your Bible study you come up with an interpretation that nobody has ever come up with in all of church history, you're probably wrong. Probably wrong. So ask yourself, does my interpretation agree with what the rest of the Bible teaches? Ask yourself, does my interpretation agree with what has been taught before over the centuries of Bible study and interpretation? Be critical. Take a critical approach. 
And the last, number eight, be on guard against reading into Scripture what isn't there. Let the passage speak for itself. Uh, Yon says this, no one who studies the Bible is totally exempt from imposing on a passage his own ideas, learn from someone else, so you should always attempt to let the passage speak for itself. Make an effort to extract meaning from the text rather than reading meaning into it. And here's where we'll close. Remember last week our discussion about exposition and exegesis. We are trying, exegesis means to lead out the meaning of a text versus eisegesis, which means to force a meaning onto the text. You and I in our Bible study should be involved in exegesis, leading out the meaning that God has put in that particular section of the Word of God. Interpret the Bible literally, plainly, from a normal point of view. Observe the context. Interpret Scripture by Scripture. Understand the historical situation. Observe the progress of revelation. Interpret grammatically. Question every interpretation. And guard against reading into a passage that which is not there. That will help you and me be accurate in our study of the Word of God. And it's important because we need to be Bereans and be in the Word of God regularly. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the example of the Bereans. Thank you for these principles that will help us to interpret honestly and properly your Word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.